0: A Podcast One Production.
1: The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. And in this episode, we are looking at the QA again. We've been getting a lot of questions from you, which we love so much. So keep sending them through by emailing healthhacker at the or go to the Manshake socials and leave a comment on the videos Adam posts asking you to ask him what you want to hack into for health and fitness. And we got one from Sharon, which is a great one. Adam, this is a flashback from the 90s. I don't know what it is in the new year of 2020, but we've been seeing magazines, you and I, throwing back to the 90s, not just with fashion, but with diet, because it seems that the Atkins diet has made a comeback. Sharon emailed us and said... I want to lose weight, and I recently read about Kim Kardashian losing a lot of weight on the Atkins diet. It was popular in the 90s, Adam, and it's back again. Do you recommend this diet?
0: Oh, alarm bells are ringing straight away. As soon as I hear the the name Kim Kardashian and diet together, uh, it sends alarm bells through my head. I feel so sorry for everybody out there at the moment. It's a silly season isn't of diets. Everyone's trying to lose weight. You know, 92% of people's New Year's resolutions will lose weight. 92%? God, that's so high. And only 8% of people actually succeed and sustain a a diet that they they set out at the start of the year. So um, this is the reason why people aren't successful because unfortunately we're listening to people that um, have... um very little, I suppose, uh, credibility in a lot of ways <laughs> when it comes to giving dietary advice. I mean, if you're coming from the from the lens of somebody that's a Hollywood star, well, your lifestyle is so different to start with from a normal person, isn't it? You have a personal chef, personal trainer. You know, you eat, get to eat really expensive and nice, healthy, organic foods. Um, but when you're the average punter out there, you don't get afford of these things. You're working long hours. You have probably got screaming kids. Um, you're struggling, you know, to get to work on time, and you're wanting to copy a Hollywood star's diet. Come on, we know why it's not going to work because it's not practical, sustainable, and uh, it's just downright crazy. But um, look, I'm a big believer in always, um, you know, before you cut the tree down, Alex, make sure you sharpen the ax first. And that's what we're here to do today, Alex. We're here to really have a deep dive into all these different diets and really take a sensible and scientific approach to what works, what doesn't work, what the research is showing us. So then we can make a real individual decision about what diet we think will work for ourselves individually. And that's key.
1: Adam, I love that analogy. I've never heard that before. Sharpen the ax before you cut the tree down. I feel like we're actually standing in front of a Forest, and all of the trees we can see are different types of diets. So the one we're going to go choose is the Atkins one, first of all. So <laughs> mate, let's sharpen this axe and go cut it down. Can you tell me, because Atkins, Kim Kardashian or not, has been around for quite a while now. It seems to be coming back again and people say they've gotten results on it. Can you start off as we chop this Atkins tree down, telling me how the Atkins diet works?
0: Well, look, the Atkins diet's essentially a, a low-carb style of eating, um, which was developed in the 1960s. Um, the guy's name who developed it was Robert C. Atkins. Surprise, surprise, Atkins. Um, yeah, right. And essentially, he believed that if you're restricted carbohydrates and you're focused really on protein and fats in your diet this would increase fat burning ability and, you know, would see the pounds melt away as such. So when you take a deeper dive in it and see what the diet actually consists of, that's when you start to realize this isn't for the will hearted Um, You need to be pretty mentally tough because you're only allowed to consume 20 net grams of carbohydrates a day. It's only 20 net grams. So to give you an idea what net grams are, Alex, essentially it's carbohydrates minus fiber. So for example, if you pick up a piece of bread and that piece of bread, which most pieces of bread have about 20 grams of carbohydrates in them, and most of the ones you find in the supermarket have about two grams of fiber these days, and that would give you 18 grams of net carbohydrates. So there you go, you'd only be allowed one piece of bread the whole day, as far as carbohydrates go, from a macronutrient-focused point of view. So the rest of your diet is actually made up of a massive 70% of fat and 25% of protein, because 5% is carbohydrates. is protein, and 70% is fat. A lot of people, when they started the Atkins diet back in the 60s and 70s, were seen basically eating spoonfuls of margarine, butter, bacon, You know, pretty disgusting, really. The Atkins diet was a a very sort of uh, archaic approach to a high-fat diet compared to, say, the ketogenic diet, which is very similar now, which is trending.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, Adam, it sounds like the ketogenic diet is almost like Atkins 2.0. Is that a fair thing
0: to say? It is, yeah, it's a great analogy. and the the big difference, I, I suppose, is that the ketogenic um, clan or or sort of way of thinking is that um, you know, the Atkins diet was a very crude style of a high-fat diet. There wasn't a lot of quality. Um, you know, people were just encouraged to eat high-fat foods, um, particularly fats that were man-made, Frankenstein types of foods, rather than trying to source good fats from natural sources.
1: Oh, you mean like having margarine instead of avocado, that kind of thing?
0: Yeah, yeah. So they're a lot more food-based and, and focused on that. So look, the Atkins diet has jumped on board that theory as well. But the the, the biggest difference, and it's not a big one, is um, they do focus a little bit more on a higher intake of fat. So their recommendation is about 75% of their calories come from fat. Um, They slightly um, reduce the amount of protein, so that they aim for about 20% of their calories to come from protein. And once again, they're aiming for around the 5% um, contribution from carbohydrates. So it's a huge amount of um, fat to get in your diet. Um, It's very scary, I I suppose, in a lot of ways. We really don't know the long-term repercussions of going on these sorts of diets for long, long periods of time. Um, 20% protein, why it's a little bit less than Atkins' diet is because they believe that... um, having too much protein can actually stimulate insulin production, and that's the whole goal of of these um, styles of very low-carbohydrate diets, Alex, is they're trying to mitigate glucose variability. So you don't want to be eating um, a meal and seeing your glucose levels going up and down, um, which they argue causes uh, the storage of energy and uh, the prevention of burning fat. So, yeah, it's a very, very um, unknown factor how long... Um, you should sound these diets for, and um, the the long term, I suppose, negative side effects. There's no doubt in the short term, Alex. You're gonna, you know, see the scales move. Um, the reason being is because, um, you know, for every gram of carbohydrates that you ingest, you essentially hold three to four grams of water, um, for each gram. So a lot of the weight when you jump on the scales is actually going to be water weight that you've lost to start with. Um, but you know, a lot of evidence now is suggesting that if you are going to um do a ketogenic style of diet or an Atkins style, that you should cycle in and out of these diets. You know, like our ancestors would have. You know, our ancestors weren't permanently on a ketogenic diet. They ate whatever they could bloody find. So, yeah. our metabolisms weren't meant to be exposed to ongoing periods of no carbohydrates. And that's where metabolic, you know, inflexibility may develop. The idea of, of these diets is you're trying to create metabolic flexibility, which means that you can eat any type of macronutrient, whether it's carbohydrates, whether it's fat, whether it's protein, and utilise that and petition that energy into the muscles to be used effectively by the body. However, when you go on one diet for too long and you become dogmatic with it, when our bodies become lazy and all the Suddenly, we build intolerances and our bodies become ineffective at utilising things like carbohydrates if you haven't used them on an ongoing basis.
1: Right. So actually, when, sometimes when you say, geez, these are tough diets to stay on for a long time, you probably shouldn't stay on it for a long time. Do them in a little burst, maybe like reset your body a bit. We've talked about this kind of stuff in gut health episodes and then go back to a normal balanced diet. Would that be the way you'd approach a ketogenic Atkins diet or would you just not do these diets at all?
0: No, perfect, Alex. I'm really really impressed mate you've uh, you've come a long way mate you're very very smart now when it comes to all this stuff And it's great to hear you developing you know your, your knowledge it's right you've got to really just go back to how our ancestors ate you have a look at that and there's a lot of clues they be left behind we got to where we got to today because Yeah, we did certain things and, you know, there is that cyclical nature of everything in life. You know, things should be done in surges. You know, you shouldn't just always, you know, eat the same types of food every single day. Your body builds up a resistance to that. We know that, you know, the diversity in your gut microbiome is key to having great health. So you want diversity in your diet, but you also want to be changing things up to keep your body on its toes as such. So like you said, you know, eat foods that are seasonal. Um, You know, we know that fruit is better processed by the body as a result of gut microbiome, which is more present in the warmer seasons when fruits are actually... Actually, in season, so our bodies are very smart. They know what they want. They know what they've done over millions of years, and we don't want to go too far away from that. We, we're happy to come in and out, and I recommend coming in and out of periods where you might do a reset sort of diet to build up some metabolic resistance. But um, going on a diet long term, like a ketogenic diet, I, I really can't see anybody thriving on that long term. Um, and that is the the big thing, Alex. We always say that, um, you know. Psychology trumps physiology all the time, and that's the key to any type of diet. Um, if you remove the "t" off the word "diet," you get the word "die," and there's a reason for that because you're dying when you're on a diet. And uh, we don't we don't really want to, you know, have to be on a diet. Like psychologically, you look at how the human brain has evolved; is that we're averse to loss. And as soon as you tell somebody they can't eat a particular type of food, um, what are they going to want? They're going to want that food. You know, it's it's just such a psychologically draining thing to have in our modern day lives as well. We know how many decisions we need to make on a daily basis, how much decision fatigue there is, how much willpower you have to use on a daily basis with thousands of of food options. You know, we make over 200 decisions around food and drinks every single day, Alex. So when your brain's focusing on deprivation, it isn't a healthy mental mindset to be in.
1: I was speaking to a doctor friend of mine, and he was saying that if you put something negative into your brain, you kind of do the opposite like what you're saying. So if you say, don't eat junk food, you'll eat junk food. He said, switch out your language to to say to yourself, instead of saying, don't, say, remember to eat fruit today, or remember to eat healthy today. So you're putting a positive thing into your mind, which I thought was a really great hack.
0: And that's what we're all about, isn't it? We're all about inclusion, not exclusion. So let's focus on what we want rather than what we don't want. And uh, that's a great approach to, you know, obviously chewing the waistline and being healthier and happier overall.
1: So Adam, I know you love a study to back up the things that you find. That's a great thing about this podcast. You actually do the research to find out what scientists and health professionals are doing to prove these theories we talk about. We're not just Googling random stuff and and telling us. (laughs) Tell me about the study with the twins. This one's really fascinating when it comes to these diets.
0: It was amazing, Alex. It was a study done by King's College in London in cooperation with Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. So, two very reputable medical uh, bodies there, and um, it was a larger study of its kind. And essentially, what it proved was, um, despite that the twins were identical, they only shared thirty-seven um, percent of the same bacteria in their guts, whereas people that weren't twins share thirty-five percent. So, there was only a two percent uh, likeness greater in twins than there was the normal population. Now. That probably doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people, um, but it should, because essentially, despite having the same genes, what they found from this study was that the twins ate the same food, yet had totally different responses to the food. everything The way wow. their bodies. Yeah. So, the way they metabolize that, that, that meal from a glucose response point of view. So, for example, one of the twins who ate a, a particular type of protein, uh, meat, for instance, had a higher glucose response, which meant that his body wasn't able to process it as well. You get a higher glucose response when there's an immune response. So, by that I mean, Alex, if your body doesn't really assimilate with that food very well, the body doesn't like it, so the immune system reacts, and then all of a sudden your glucose levels shoot up. We know that glucose um, shooting up is not Good for your health. Glucose uh, variability is the key to being healthy. Keeping that nice and level, uh, not going up and down and bouncing around. And uh, you know that that was really interesting to see that as well. And the the other thing was, um, you know, one of the twins is much more effective at breaking down fat compared to carbohydrates. And and uh, the way that they broke down fiber and the way that their guts produced different um, enzymes and and the way that they produced uh, short chain fatty acids in the in the small intestine was different between the the two twins, which is mind-blowing. So, to show that, you know, two identical twins could have such a different reaction to the same food is absolutely mind-blowing. And they're they're saying from this study that they believe that, you know, the biological response that people have to food, um, with similar calorie content, um accounts for less than forty percent of the difference. So what they're suggesting is that individual factors um, in people are the difference such as, you know, your metabolism, your gut microbiome, um, your stress in your life, the time that you eat your meals, the level of physical activity, all these things we've spoken about before, Alex, where we said that weight loss isn't just a simple one stop solution. You know, it's not about just calories in or calories out, but it's also about your microbiome, your gut, how how well that breaks down food, petitions the calories into uh, the muscles rather than into fat. Um, you know your levels of lifestyle um, choices, and how they affect you, such as you know the hormones that are responsible to reacting to that, like stress. Um, you've then got hormones like leptin and ghrelin, which are responsible for appetite and satis- uh, satisfaction. So there's a lot going on. Um, you know in, in you know weight loss, not just calories in versus calories out, but a calorie is not a calorie as we've always said. Alex, your body responds differently to a calorie. Um, from protein that, as it does to carbohydrates, but even more so, individuals' variation of how they utilize calories and protein and fat also differs. So it's a very, very interesting um, you know, spear that we're diving into, the weight loss spear. There's so many factors, it's multifaceted, and um, we're going to learn more and more about it, but I do see one thing coming from this, Alex. We're going to start to see a lot more individualization with diets as a result of this study. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall.
1: How can I best individualize and hack my own diet to figure out what works for me? Should I, you know, get a little um prick for my finger to measure my <laughs> my blood glucose levels after I'm eating or should I sit down with a nutritionist or do I go to my GP? Like how can I figure out what I'm eating, how I'm reacting to it and and what's the best food for me?
0: It's a great question, Alex, and I'd applaud all our health hackers out there to go and do this. Um, probably don't need to go to the extreme that I did when I was trying to develop the man shake, which was I went and seen a doctor, got a continuous glucose monitor, um, which is a probe they put in my uh, body, and uh, that measured uh, my <laughs> glucose levels for the whole day. Um, <laughs> and the reason I different. did that was- You're yeah, so well, nuts. <laughs> well, but we worked with Sydney University, and we wanted to make sure that the product you know didn't spike blood sugar levels, because like I've alluded to a number of times, that the key to good health um, is not getting that big rise in insulin levels as a result of eating food. And that usually comes off foods that are highly processed and foods that are high in simple carbohydrates. So, you can't burn fat at the same time as your insulin levels are rising. It's impossible. So, um, hence why I started the Manshake because most of the products out there are just high in sugar yet they pretend to be a weight loss shake. And that's but yes. So, the first thing that the Manshake had to do was not increase. Uh, insulin levels. So I made sure that didn't do that by wearing one of these continuous glucose monitors, but I was also able to learn my reaction to foods. And it was so different to my wife as well, who also partaked in this uh, weed experiment um, for the lady shake. So we had to be really careful that you know we didn't get these blood sugar uh, rises. And um, so you can actually just get a device where you just take a glucose monitor and just prick your finger like you said and squeeze it on. And I'd encourage everyone to do that for a short period of time. Go get your, um, your blood sugar levels tested off your doctor to start with. Um, you'll obviously have to fast for at least 12 hours. I mean, you can see what... um you know your your insulin um, sensitivities like, and you can do some other tests which show your blood sugar levels. So I applaud everyone just to do that from a general blood testing point of view. I think that's something we should be getting checked every single year. Um, but yeah, start hacking in that, and also write down when you eat a particular food thirty minutes later how you actually feel from an energy point of view. So if you don't want to go put a probe in your, yourself or prick your finger, um, you can simply just start by Alex just writing down half an hour after you've eaten because that's usually when you get that surge and then the dip off in blood sugar levels. How you actually feel after you eat that food? Um, that's something that I love. I'll that start to do. Yeah so food's information, as I say all the time. You know, when you put food into your body, it's sending information to the rest of your body to react to it. So um, yeah, really exciting that you can take some of these basic steps and just ask yourself. And- if you're somebody that is really overweight, there's a good chance, unfortunately, you are going to be what we call insulin insensitive. Um, so your body doesn't have the the ability to uh, petition carbohydrates as effectively somebody that's skinny um, into the muscle, rather they sort of you know bounce back out the carbohydrates and get stored into the fat and into the liver. So what you would probably like to do to start with is focus more on a, on a slightly lower carbohydrate style of diet. So I don't mean go to like 20 grams of carbohydrate like a ketogenic diet, because I always say, Alex, if you're going to start you know, something, you don't go from zero to hundred miles an hour because then you've yeah, got nowhere the, the, else to go. The
1: marathon analogy, right? You don't go the run marathon. a marathon.
0: That's right. Don't go run a marathon the first day, just go run around the block. And then you've got somewhere to go the next week when you start to get fitter. So it's, it's really interesting with diets. You know, you see people on average eating the sad diet, the standard American diet, which is what we do in Australia here with the food pyramid. And, you know, they're eating four to 500 grams of carbohydrates a day and it's way too much. And what happens is they then go, well, you know what? I seen Kim Kardashian in the magazine, eat 20 grams of carbohydrates. I'm on board. Here I go. Watch out. (laughs) And all of a sudden you get all these metabolic stresses put on the body and it's just not sustainable and it regulation your metabolism. And, you know, you've got nowhere to go once you stagnate. So I would encourage people who, you know, are grossly overweight to to really focus on carbohydrates. I think that would work for them um, as as a good first step. Um, And then, you know, I would then look to, you know, upping your protein because a lot of people aren't getting good quality protein. But, you know, going back to that that, um, high carb, low carb sort of, you know, Favoritism. Research is showing, Alex, that people who are, you know, classified as obese, generally do have a good response to um, restricting their carbohydrates. There was a study done from memory. uh, It was a British Journal of Medicine, I think, from memory. I'll see if I can bring it up. But um, I think what they found was that um, the effects of a low-carb diet on energy expenditure um, during weight loss um, was actually greater. Here it is here, Alex. It was actually greater um, in people that restrict their carbohydrates. They ended up um, burning 250 calories more in a day. It it wasn't significant, Alex, but it was enough to give them a little bit of an edge over the people that were eating a higher style type of carbohydrate diet. So, you know, if you are somebody out there that is struggling to lose weight, you know, start by tailoring about the carbohydrates, but don't go extreme too quickly.
1: So that actually brought up something interesting for me, Adam. We hear a lot at the moment with ketogenic and now Atkins making a comeback with the low-carb, high-fat diet. But for a while also, there's been talking about high-carb, low-fat, which is vegan diets, right? I mean, they're just as popular as well where people are having a lot of carbs and not a lot of fats that come from animals. Sure, they're having avocados, but if they're having breads and pastas and beans and rice and all this stuff, that's a lot of carb. Which one do you pick, mate? What's the Adam McDougall preference?
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting to talk about that too. You know, protein. There was a lot of recommendations around protein, and we spoke about it in the last podcast. So go back and have a listen to it. It was really interesting. Um, but we're finding now that the recommended daily allowance for protein has actually nearly doubled. So the, the recommendation, um, you know, for protein just to, to make sure that we, we contain our muscle mass, which is very important, has um, nearly doubled. So they used to recommend um, it was about point um, eight of a gram per kilo of body weight. Now they've recommending, you know, up to 1.6 grams of protein per kilo of body weight. So that's a significant increase. Yeah. And they're realizing the importance of of muscle. The muscle is medicine, as we always say. So the reason why muscle is so important, you know, not just for strength and and obviously our ability to age better so we don't die from falls and and whatnot is because your your muscles are like a sponge. So when you eat food, particularly carbohydrates, um, your muscles soak up the the carbohydrates and utilize that for energy. So the less muscle mass you have, uh, the less ability you have to, to essentially use the carbohydrates as energy. So um, this is a reason why we want to really increase our our fat-free mass, our muscle as such. And that's why I lean towards more of a diet, Alex, that focuses on building muscle. Um, Even if it's a weight loss style of diet, I don't like the word weight loss. It should be a fat loss diet. So let's get that straight for all our people out there. If they're trying to hack losing weight, change your thinking to hack to burning fat. And there is a big difference. As we alluded to earlier, if you drop carbohydrates every diet, of course you're going to get this misleading number on the scale because you drop some water um, as a result of eating less carbohydrates. So what we want to focus really on is not an extreme low carb diet, um, but we want to you know focus on one that actually um, focuses on protein, focuses on good fiber for gut health. Um, you know, Recent research from the International Journal of Society of Sports Nutrition showed that there's a negative impact from going on a ketogenic style of diet if your goal is to build muscle. Yes, you'll drop weight, but you will not preserve muscle as well on a ketogenic style of diet. So. I I would be leaning more towards a diet that um, is a moderate carbohydrate style diet, low to moderate rather than extremely low. Um, So I'd be aiming, you know, to start, you know, if you're going from 400 grams of carbohydrates a day, well, just halve it. That's a significant metabolic shift for you. So, um, but on average, you know, I'd probably ingest about 100 to 150 grams of carbohydrates on an average day for me, Alex. Um, And I focus really heavily on protein and also trying to, you know, get lots of good fats in my diet.
1: Adam, I'm just going to surmise that because I think that's a really good takeout that Really just hit home with me is that everyone's worried about losing weight, but if you are losing muscle and you haven't got enough carbohydrates and protein to grow muscle if you're on a diet that is restricting muscle growth, you're actually going to store more fat because your muscles are not there to soak it up. It goes to your belly. So you're actually going to be putting weight on. That is very kind of, that's a bit of a catch 22, Adam. That's so interesting.
0: It is. And a lot of people don't believe or they've argued for a number of years that you can't actually burn fat and build muscle at the same time, but that has been just proven. And, you know, there's, there's guys doing it every day out there and you can just Look on social media, and you can see some of these guys that are doing it. So, look, our goal should be to retain as much muscle as we can while we're losing fat. Now, the biggest mistake I see people make, Alex, and this is the best hat you can do, is don't sabotage your health and your muscle and your diet by eating not enough food. It's the biggest mistake that, that people make: not yeah. getting enough nutrients in their body. It results in muscle loss. Look at the, the at the start, you're going to see a, a, a bit of a, a drop um, in weight, and you get excited, and then all of a sudden. You know, If you've gone too extreme to start with, which is the second mistake that people make, you've got nowhere else to go, so what do you have to do? You have to try to reduce calories even more, but what happens to the body? It has a set point. It doesn't want to be that weight. It wants to go back to the weight that it used to be. So your metabolism drops back down because it's smart. Your body... Now it doesn't need as many calories. And if you're exercising at the same time, we know what happens there. Your body adapts as well if you're going for long, slow jogs. So make sure you're getting enough calories in your body to preserve muscle and just find that Goldilocks point. A lot of people say that if you're trying to lose you know, weight, you should aim for about between 10 to 12 times your body weight in calories. So for example, if you're 180 pounds uh let's call it you know high eighty sort of eighty eight sort of kilos, eighty seven kilos. You should be looking um, essentially to eat eighteen hundred calories a day. However, Alex, I'd recommend slightly higher amount of, of um, calories rather than going for ten times. I'd start at around twelve times your body weight. So if you're around one hundred and eighty pounds, that works out to be two thousand two hundred calories roughly. So if you don't know what that is, you can download an app. It's pretty easy these days. Um, My Fitness pals is a, a really popular one, and you can start um, logging in your calories and and using that to give you some guidance.
1: Again, it's not going team extreme, right? low carb and high fat or high carb and low fat. Those things are going to get you short term results, sure. But you want to have still some carbohydrates in you because the key is don't lose muscle because the muscle actually is going to help you burn more fat in the long run, which I find fascinating. But then when you hear the word fat, if you want to have a bit more fat in your diet, don't green light the margarine and the bacon. Go and get good things. <laughs> a lot of people, I see it, Adam. I see them go, oh, I'm on the Atkins, and they are just plowing through crap, and you think, oh, God, what are you doing? And equally, people who are who are on vegan diets or, or going a bit more high carb, maybe they run a lot or whatever it is, are eating really starchy things and really processed things, I think it's about keeping as close to nature as possible. Would you agree?
0: I agree. And, you know, if you stick to six basic principles, make sure that your diet has enough adequacy in it, which means you've got enough energy and nutrients in your diet, there's enough balance is number two, I would argue, that you don't want to overconsume any type of food. You want to make sure that, you know, at the end of the day, weight loss really does come down to calories in versus calories out, so you need to control your energy intake number four is probably aim for nutrient density. You know, we really want to eat foods with the most nutrient density. As I always say, I am a nutrivore. I'm not a herbivore or a, an omnivore. I eat for nutrition. Um, and you want plenty of variety um, in, in your foods as well, particularly for gut health and and um, gut microbiome and, and just general wellness and and your body's ability to be flexible, be metabolically flexible. And, you know, um, I just think lastly, you um, is making sure that the body is fueled uh, with water as well. I think that's really, really important too. It's not something that we really put in with diet, but I think it's really important for our energy output. Um, And I'd recommend at least three liters of water a day. Um, This is definitely going to help, you know, clean your system out. You talk about detoxing. Well, you know, this is the best way to detox your body, make sure you get enough water um, so that your diet has the best results that you can possibly give it.
1: Thanks so much, Adam. And remember, if you want Adam to hack into something for you and you have any questions for him around your health and fitness, reach out by emailing healthhacker at manshake.com or just comment on the videos Adam leaves on his man shake socials. Adam, speak to you on the next one.
0: Can't wait, Alex. Thanks, mate. Health Hacker was created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Written and presented by Adam McDougall. Produced and presented by Alex Mitchell.
1: Audio production by Darcy Thompson. To listen to more episodes, search Health Hacker Podcast. Listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app.